Welcome back to another Dr. Supercoach podcast. I'm joined this week by Pistol. Pistol, how are you, mate? I'm doing awesome, JB. Can't wait to uh, get through another cracking Dr. Supercoach podcast. Yes, I mean, they're all cracking, so just another podcast will do. But Okay, that's fair. Um, we're we're going to talk this podcast about the mid-price options. We're going to go through uh, each individual position and, and just chat about who we are considering or not considering for that matter, just the main popular players. Before we do that, though, just a little bit of housekeeping to do on the podcast, and we're going to start off with the launching of our Patreon. So uh, we have officially launched the Patreon site. It is it is active at the moment. We have one patron who um, is due a shout-out. The very first shout-out um, on the podcast is Dalen Seekin. So I'm going to have to apologize in advance to anybody and everybody that I get the name incorrectly pronounced uh, you can abuse me in the slack if you like or on the patreon depending on which tier you join up to but uh, dalon is the first uh the first contributor so thank you very much to him. legend yeah, big time uh so we appreciate your contribution and uh i mean if there's only one per podcast we can give you this much of a talk up but <laughs> if there's a lot then you'll probably just get a normal normal shout out i'd say so uh we will i will quickly go through the tiers now that they're finalized so tier one we've got the uh, the basic, the podcast supporter tier, a dollar fifty per month uh, gets you basically what just happened there, which which is a shout out on the podcast, and uh, also earns you a couple of extra little little functions on the Patreon site. So go check that out if you want to you want to see all the details. Tier two is the community access. This is this is my personal favorite tier. I don't want to I don't want to play favorites pistol, but uh, this gets you access to our Slack channel, which is. Essentially, just a massive community hub of of super coach and sports in general, and, and just anything in general, just chit chat. Uh, it's it's yeah, it's going to be a great environment once we we get a few signups. That's the three dollar per month uh, tier. Also gets you everything in tier one. Obviously, each tier gets you the, the prior tiers uh, rewards as well. Tier three is the prize group, six dollars per month. Uh, gets you into our prize leagues. We'll be running uh, monthly prizes. And and maybe other stuff as well. We're I mean we're, we're finalising everything as quickly as we can. But I mean if we get enough patrons, then we're happy to run extra prizes. And and we don't know what the prizes even are going to be yet, Pistol. But um, we're definitely looking at merchandise, uh, Doctor Supercoach merchandise, and and other such exciting things. And then finally, we've got the Rivalry League, uh, which is $12 per month, and that one's huge, Pistol. Do you want to talk us through the Rivalry League? I can, definitely, because you've been talking for the entire podcast and I was falling asleep. Wow. Um, the Rivalry League is just exactly what it sounds like. Uh, it's three teams of five people or five uh, patrons each, so five for Team JB, five for Team Pistol. There's no one else. Just Team Pistol is fine. Um, and no, Team Chizo as well. So basically, you win points by defeating uh, someone else from another team. And the team with the most amount of points at the end of the season will win big prizes. So you basically, there's only 15 spots. You want to sign up. You want to be able to get into this league with us. And we'll obviously create our own team chat as well and strategize throughout the season on how we're going to take down the other teams, JB. Yeah, and uh, usage of the Slack as well. Obviously, uh, once you gain access to the rivalry league, you will be in, in the Slack as well. So we'll have all our little private messages in Slack. So uh, that that'll be a great environment, uh, especially competitive and Team JB. Quite obviously, everyone uh, donning the the Sean Higgins in the midfield captaincy every week. So there's no way that would ever lose that. So um, that pretty much summarizes the Patreon up. 
and uh, just essentially uh, go check it out the the site. Chizo has pretty much worked day and night. Uh, yeah, I mean, day, <laughs> literally worked day and night to get this uh, website looking like it is. It looks amazing. There's a, a video there as well uh, to to view. That gives us a little intro into the Patreon. Uh, there's a thank you message once you've signed up. Um, yeah, can't say enough about Chizo and his dedication to this, and it all looks amazing. So make sure you go check it out. The video looks like like ridiculously good, so you should definitely check it out, and then you should uh, message and see if Chizo is available for your events to uh, video and make those videos because it is out of this world good. Yeah, love it. And uh, And just lastly... Anyone to sign up on the Patreon before the 1st of March is eligible to uh, go into the draw for a free Prospectus through the the Fantasy Freako page. So uh, that's amazing as well. I'm not sure how much they cost individually, Pistol. You might know better than I do. Yeah, I would. So uh, thanks for asking. I'm pretty sure they're about you don't know 40 either? bucks. No, they're about 40 bucks. <laughs> okay, excellent. <laughs> Thanks for hanging me out to dry there. But about $40. So you go into the end, you enter into the running to win that if you sign up before March 1st. So, um, wow. That's, if that's, if that's a preview of what the uh, rivalry league is going to be like, then it's going to be a real heated year for us all. So that pretty much sums up the Patreon, uh, unless you've got anything else to add, Pistol. Uh, no, I haven't. Um, I think that it is underrated, um, the content that we're going to be able to provide to you guys throughout the season um, until you start getting into it. And then it's going to be really exciting. It's going to be really awesome. There's going to be lots there, um, including, you know, post and pre-podcast production. And that's just, you know, some little teasers as well. You can go check it out. There's a whole bunch of things. It's a lot of reading, though, so make sure you bring... Um, your glasses or whatever i'm not really sure i can't read so it's fine um and anyway (laughs) jb let's jump straight into the mid prices please super coach (laughs) oh geez that's that is easily the best segue that we've ever had on a podcast so we will jump straight into the mid prices and we're going to start off in defense as most people do when they open their team because it's the first thing that they see because it's at the very back and we'll start with Callum Mills. So um, I'm not sure how highly Mills has been considered so far this season. He comes in at 428k so just sneaking in to that mid price bracket. Only nine games played last year with an average of 80 uh, but there's been a lot of chit chat as there is most years for especially the young guys who who are slowly integrated into that midfield role. There's been a lot of chit-chat in the preseason about Mills playing a lot more midfield. And what are your thoughts on him, Pistol? Is he a viable uh, option in our defense, or is there just too much uh, too much lined up back there? I think Mills is too good of a player to not get more midfield time. But the problem is he's, he's priced quite high. And realistically, is he going to average 105? Probably not. Is he going to take the kickouts? Probably not. And with all these factors going against him compared to players that are cheaper uh, with a couple more positives as well. I think this year, if you don't average over 100, you're not going to get near the top six defenders, and therefore Mills is just not quite going to get there this year. But maybe in the future, although I doubt he retains uh, you know, DPP um, in the future. He's, he's way too good to not be playing in that midfield, and he's going to be an absolute star. Yeah, and I feel like next year might be the year to look harder at Mills because I feel like... Like he did the, the past year as well, he'll retain that defensive midfield status for just one more year, and nah. then uh, hopefully that's the year that they really throw him in. You reckon he'll be full midfielder? Uh, he, he's so good, man. So I guess we'll wait and see how they yeah. go through the JLT, but I'm, I'm thinking big things from Mills. I just 
Can't see him going above 100. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, if he does play that 60-odd percent midfield time, that would cause him to lose the defensive status then. Yeah, maybe maybe I'm underselling him and 95-plus is possible. But, yeah, I mean, for me, I'm going to be looking at him harder next year if he's still got that defensive eligibility. So uh, we'll move on to the next player. A little bit cheaper than Mills is Zach Williams. Didn't play a game in 2018. Started the year priced at 516K, so that tells you a little bit about uh, his stocks as a premium option this year. And Price is mid-price, obviously, playing zero games uh, bar finals last year. What are your thoughts on Zach? I love Zach Williams. Um, I think he's a great pick. He has had a good scoring history uh, previously, as well as being able to take you know, a share of the kickouts, I think will be very advantageous for him. Um, I don't see why he can't be pushing 100 this year, and he's only priced at 407k. So um, he will definitely... He'll definitely be, you know, around those top six, eight defenders, and is much cheaper than some of the other ones as well. So for me, it's a massive lock, um, and he's generally a good player. So again, I like picking players that are good players in my team rather than the donkeys that still score the points, uh, which does happen from time to time. But um, yeah, for me, Zach Williams, he's straight in the basket. Yeah, and I mean, I, I personally, I don't think I'm going out and too much of a, a long shot here, but. Uh, I think I'd be surprised if he failed to average 105 plus Whoa. for the season. Okay, you yeah. really went overs. I think, I think no, no, I don't think I did go overs. I think 105 is definitely in his wheelhouse. Uh, we saw it in the finals last year. He put up two big scores uh, in the two games that he played, and he, he's just a class player. Like uh, like I said, he started at 516k the year before. He was just bordering on a premium option then, and you know he's a couple of years older. I think. With this kicking rule as well, he'll go 105 pretty easily. Easily as well. I'm like, it's Lock getting it worse. Okay. Lock it in. Lock it in. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, the next player on the list is Michael Hibbard, averaging uh, 73 in 2018. And I, I don't even want to talk about this, man. I'm actually going to go <laughs> find a vomit bag. So, Pistol, you go. Me go. Okay. Well, um, let me try and sell you Hibbard, JB. He is probably not going to be on kick-ins because you'd think uh, Salem or, as you like to call him, Salim, might be on the kick-outs. There's also May, who took majority uh, for Gold Coast. So they've got two decent kicker-outers, but if they need somebody that's going to be um, a bit quicker, it might be Hibbert, um, but it also might not be. And for that risk at his price, I don't think you can take that big of a gamble on somebody that might go absolutely nowhere. Um, I feel like it's a punt for the sake of taking a punt. And although some of the scoring history is there, it's not actually like he, he hasn't really averaged like so ridiculously high that it feels like a worthwhile punt. I feel like even if you get him on a good year, he would still struggle to be a top six defender. So yeah, I, I don't he's he's just a big no for me. Yeah, and I mean as as I sort of said before when I was passing it over to you, uh, he's not even in my any of my considerations and he hasn't been since I opened Supercoach and he won't be when I close it at the end of 2019 so big big no for Hibbard for me but I mean it might just be because I'm so badly burnt by him probably not he's bad at the game as well so we'll move on to Nick Newman who is 394k coming into the season the only reason he's being spoken about is because he is a Carlton player now from Sydney Swans had such a good debut season, and uh, thus uh, I suppose everyone's got a bit of hope that he can replicate it or get someone near that. For me, uh, it's it's just not 
like it, it feels like it should marry up, but it, I just don't think it will. Although Doherty is injured as well, which might help him coming off of halfback or, or whatever role he's going to take in that Carlton side, I just can't see him averaging 95 plus or, or even 90 plus for that matter. So for me, it seems like a bit of a waste of coin, but I'm interested in what you have to say, Pistol. Well, if you happen to check out the article that we wrote for the Herald Sun today, it did cover... Uh, potential replacements for Doherty and Titch, and Newman was one of the inclusions. So I don't really want to spoil all the goodies in the article, but as a, a quick summary, I'll say that Newman's points per minute are quite good, and he has averaged uh, on the low side of the points per minute in that Swan side. And given he'll be playing with a lot more inexperienced teammates, if they rely on him um, a little bit more, and maybe he's, uh, you know, the one the ball might be down the back line a, a little bit more but as long as he gets a bit more time on ground um, I think that he could be a somewhat decent pick I don't think he's going to be uh, I don't think he's going to be somebody that completely smashes it out of the park but I also think that he'll go well enough that it's a worthwhile starting selection if you want to use you know that slot there's a lot of mid prices in the back line and if you know you think he's the best one then, then go for it but personally I, I feel like there's some others that we're going to talk about as well as ones we have spoken about like Zach Williams that are just more worthwhile yeah and there's only so many of these that you'd want to start uh, I mean I think I'm pushing it I've got two in my side currently so um, yeah it's, it's there's only so many you can fit in and if Newman you think is better than the other ones that are there then I mean I don't begrudge it overly but I'd definitely be starting Zach Williams over him and then it gets too busy in that defensive midfield slot anyway. So, um, However, like you said, there are some upside to Newman uh, as a pick, so we'll see how it goes. Uh, next up is Brandon Ellis, 387k. Now, I think we're discussing Brandon because uh, there was an article earlier in the preseason about him moving out of that backline role and into a, a more winger role. I, I believe it was winger. I don't think it was uh, as an actual midfielder at the center bounces. But uh, something about the, the 6-6-6 rule uh, doing well for Brandon Ellis, and, and if he gets on a wing, he might get back to his running best. But I mean, for me, he's just too far gone out of that running best from what I've seen that I just can't trust him with the selection. Someone that I keep my eye on because I know he's got the scoring potential, but maybe an upgrade option during the season, Pistol. Yeah, he's definitely an interesting option, but he's had three years above an average of 90, um, including a 97, 99, and a 92, um, which are good enough scores, especially at that price. But my problem is Richmond, they're so good, and they have so many players that score well. And I feel like so many Richmond players just go between 80 and 100, and I, I can't really see past Ellis being just another one of those midfielders that score well, but not amazing. And really, when we're trying to select a mid-pricer, we're going to need to get some cash. And it, I mean, you're either going to need to get some cash or they're going to have to become a keeper. And I'm not sure Ellis is... I don't think 90 is going to be enough to be a keeper in the back line this year. And I think he can go 90, but it's just not quite there for our D6s. And he's not going to make enough money for it to be a worthwhile selection. He's kind of in that no-man-lands area. And for me, that's why he is a no. Yeah, and a no for me as well. Unless he comes out, you know, stormy out the gates, in which, you know, we'd reconsider, but no for the starting team at least. Uh, the next player is Andrew McGrath, starting at 384k. Started the season fairly well, uh, tapered off a little bit, ended up with a 70 average last year. And, I mean, I think we're going to be repeating ourselves a lot with these defensive uh, mid-prices. It's really hard to consider them when you've got players such as Zach Williams really close to that price range. 
So I'm interested in what you have to say about McGrath, but I feel like it'll be a similar type thing to what you're saying about uh, Ellis and uh, the player before Newman. And it, like, it's, it's just going to be like, they're not going to make that much money. They're, they're probably not going to average more than 90, 95 points. You know, so where does that leave him for the season? So um, do you have anything different to say about McGrath or is he of that ilk as well? No, it's, I think, uh, another one and same as what we've previously said. But I do feel like if it was if this was any other year, I might have been tempted to take the punt. But the fact that we just have that change in the kick-in rules, I feel like will be a big enough factor where I want to take punts on players that take kick-ins more so than players that are getting the, this midfield time, uh, like McGrath. So if it was a different year, another time, I may have taken the punt. But yeah, it just didn't work out, unfortunately. Yeah, and a player that might be taking some kick-ins is Ryan Burton at 356k. He had a big year the year before last. Uh, however, really, really just wasn't able to get settled last season. He did play 21 matches, but only had an average of 65 points per game. Uh, dropped 100k from his season before, where in which he started at 460. So it shows what sort of season he had the year before. Uh, but at a new team, potential uh, kick-in role... Um, we'll be playing out of that back line as that sort of link-up player, maybe filling in for what Polek, now what we miss from Polek. Um, I just, it's just so hard to rate Burton, and it's so hard to sort of, like he had a, a really good season and a really bad season. Like, what do does he fall in between now with a new club? Like, it's he's another player that just I find impossible to judge and, and really hard to pick in my starting team. Well, you're the port supporter, so I'm not really going to try and... Uh give any input over you on that one because you'll know much uh, better how he's going to line up and everything but do you think that he will definitely be on kickouts? I think he'll take some of them like uh, we're, we're really we don't really have a set kickout taker at the moment uh, like Bonner took some Dan Houston took a lot last season as well but if they stuff one up because they're so, they're so young generally you don't see them take two in a row um, if they make a bit of a blunder so we do rotate the kick-ins a lot it's something that you know, I feel like we'll go between four or five different players in our back line. We, we won't have a majority like kick taker. Fair enough. Well, that leaves us uh, jumping to another player who has also switched clubs in this uh, trade period, or pre-season, I should say. Um, Ryan Clark has moved from North Melbourne to Sydney Swans. He's also priced similarly to Burton. How do you see him going this year? Now, this is another tough one. Average 65 when he had really big raps in him uh, going into the season. I know you yourself, uh, not not in terms of maybe classic super coach, but you did fancy him as a draft pick, as, as a sort of smoky that could really take off. But he didn't do that at all. He played 19 games, so he had plenty of opportunity to do so. But uh, the, the question is, if Mills moves into that midfield, maybe Clark will get an optimal role coming off of halfback. They only have players such as uh, Jake Lloyd and and you know McVeigh that still have that role and and do it so well. So for me, Ryan Clark, yeah, he's just another one where it's so risky to predict him to go over ninety five, or you know predict him to make enough money to to trade out. So it's it's a no for me with Ryan Clark. I feel like Clark two years ago looked like a really good pick because he used the ball so well and he was scoring really well. And I was like, okay, this is a guy to watch. And then the next year, they just put him everywhere. He was playing in the back line. He was playing on the wing. He was playing on half forward. And there was no consistency. And there was no consistency with his game either. He suddenly couldn't kick the ball. Um, so I didn't really know what was going on. But if he gets a, a proper run in this one side, let's say they plonk him on a wing, uh, which I think would be his preferable position, and he just gets to play the entire game off the wing, 
I think that he could be a consistently good scorer, but not good enough that he's going to become, you know, a primo, and probably not good enough that he makes a, a, enough cash to be worthwhile a worthwhile mid pricer. Yeah, and and that leaves him in a similar boat with the last few that we've spoken about as well. Uh, the next one might change your mind, though. Aaron Francis, uh, I don't know if it will change your mind, but he's 350K. <laughs> uh, the last few that were spoken about are uh, priced accordingly because they averaged about 65 points per game. Francis only played five games last season, averaged about or averaged 80, almost on the dot. Um, went, had a hectic price change, ended up at 330K. That's where he just about finds himself to start off this season. And he's the type of player that, without those five games, that very limited uh, football ability that we were able to see from him, we, we saw a lot. And an average of 80 from those five games coming into the team very late in the year as well is pretty exceptional for a player his age. The only knock I have on Francis is he just he just won't be taking any kick-ins and he just feels like maybe the rules will favor him, but with the, the forwards being able to lean into their back a little bit, maybe there's less intercept marks. In the, it's, it's hard to judge as well. And I don't think a player like him will suddenly shoot up, you know, 10, 15 points a game um, after that. So for me, it's another pass, but I could see where people see the potential in Francis. Yeah, I mean, you just look at his final, you know, three games, so rounds 21 to 23, um, in 2018, and he, he went still at an average of about 93-94. So the point scoring potential is definitely there. And remember, this is a guy who's only played 10 games, and he was still able to hit those numbers. So I feel like his, his upside is even higher than that. Like, he can get better. Um, and not only that, like, he looked like an absolute machine, especially in round 23. He was taking so many great grabs where in this 6-6-6 where the ball is going to be coming in, as you said, we don't know if there's going to be less intercept marking or more, but if he beats his forward one-on-one, which I feel like he's got the capabilities of being able to do that, he could be a really you know savvy starting pick. I'm definitely not against Francis. I feel like his scoring potential is there, um, and the man- money-making potential is also there, but again, all of these picks carry risk. It's just which ones do you want to actually take into the season? Well, the one that I want to take into the season is priced a little bit cheaper, played a few more, a few less games, but averaged 7.5 more points in those just two games played. Brody Smith hasn't had a good run at it since he was pretty much an uber premium uh, a few years ago. But this season, uh, looking fit in the preseason, as we probably say every single year from him, but he has the potential to take those kick-ins. We obviously know how good he is by foot and how long he kicks the ball as well. Uh, if he gets a few strides out of that square and, and gets a bunch of those kick-ins, then we could be looking at a player that could actually average 100 from a price uh, around 330k. I'm not saying he's he's going to average 100 or he's even likely, but there is that chance that we could see Brody Smith average you know 95 to 100. And at that price range, for me, if he puts together enough games, it just seems like a no-brainer. Yeah. I mean, let's let's put his average into perspective so we don't get a bit carried away. In his first game back, he scored 46, which uh, I'd say is pretty uninspiring. And the next game, he scored 129 uh, off 29 possessions. So he went absolutely bang. And I think that's kind of the type of scoring you're going to get from him. You're going to get really high scoring and some mediocre scores, but that's okay, especially at his price. And 
he has decent scoring history. It's not it doesn't blow you out of the water. I mean, he's had two seasons in the last five above eighty, um, three seasons at about seventy five. But obviously, the appeal is those kicking factors. And for those that don't really think that the kicking is going to have an effect on the scoring, watch the AFLW and tell me what they're doing on every single kick out because watching it on the weekends, they take the ball and they run out of the square and they boot it. And they did that over and over again, nearly every single time. It was like 95% of the time or something ridiculous. Like, obviously, the tactic is to run and get the ball, I guess, as long as possible. The men's game might have different strategies. They might think different things through. They might not want to, you know, I don't know, something completely unexpected. But it's looking very likely that the players that take kickouts are going to get a very large boost, you know, in the realms of between 10 and 20 points per game. And Smith is somebody I think is very capable of being able to get that increase at and the upper echelon of that increase as well. So uh, for me, at 334k or so, he's an absolute lock. Yeah, and yeah, like, like I said, he's very, very easily selected in my squad. Bit of a no-brainer in my opinion. But I can understand the skepticism from a lot of people, and especially if you're erring on the side of caution due to injury because... His history with injuries is obviously very bad. Now, a player that was injured last season as well, uh, averaged 68.5, played just four games, uh, one of those being injury-affected. Dylan Robertson is our next pick, and the reason I've stayed away from Robertson, although he does come at a cheaper price than Brody Smith, is just due to his versatility, and I wouldn't think I'd ever stay away from a player for being good in multiple positions, but... He is too good in the wrong position. So he's as soon as a tall defender goes down for St Kilda, he plays that defensive role and will just score. You know, between sixty, seventy, or, or like at best eighty. But when he's got that accumulative role off the halfback flank, he really does score well. It's just what role he's going to play week by week. And um, him and a, a Webster in full flight, we haven't really seen much together. So for me, Robertson, he just doesn't appeal to me as a great selection this season. Fair enough. I think you, you said it pretty well, especially with you know people around his price that possibly might be better. Um, I can't, I can't, I can see why you pick him. He's obviously that cheap that you only really need two, three good games in a row to be able to get value out of it. I definitely don't hate the selection. I just think that there's better selections and those defender slots are so limited and if you are trying to take advantage of the kick and roll, you're probably loading up. You're a bit top-heavy in the primos and then you want the mid-prices as well and there's there's just not enough slots to go around. Yeah, and yeah, pretty much. I can't really add to that. So the next player that for some reason snuck onto the run sheet is Pierce Hanley and I mean, there's. I would love to talk up Pierce Hanley and how good he was back when he was a defensive option. Um, how good the kick-ins will be for him because he does. He's one of their fastest and best ball handlers. Does have one of the best uh, kicks in the team as well. Obviously, um, has that veteran presence. If he plays enough games, he would. You know, he's he's got the scoring potential. He's pretty much he ticks all the boxes, but he just cannot play games of AFL without picking up injuries. And you know, that's that's essentially it. So, um, what do you, what are your thoughts on how he is? You know, is there ever going to be a season where he just strings it together and plays, you know, ten, fifteen games in a row, and you know, everyone that picks him is prospering, or is it just, you know, a dreamland? I mean, you can't really predict injuries, but you know when someone has durability issues. So, 
Hanley obviously falls into that box. It's hard for him to stay on the park, but he is genuinely a really good scorer and he's priced very kindly and he could reward those if he's able to get, he just needs to get about eight eight games in a row and you've made, you know, 150k on him and you've got good scoring and everything. So I can see why some would want to take a punt, but you are gambling a trade. It's pretty much, you know, you, you are going to use a trade on him regardless. It's just how much money you're actually going to get out of him. Yeah, and then when you compare him as well to Brody Smith and even Dylan Robertson, I just think he's the worst of those three options. Uh, 99% due to durability issues. So we'll move on to the next one, and it is his teammate, Corey Ellis, coming over from Richmond in the offseason. Played four games, average of around 50. Now, the the appeal to Corey Ellis is that he'll he'll be seeing a lot more of the ball, obviously. He'll be... He'll go from the worst player on the Richmond to one of the best players on Gold Coast somehow. That's uh, probably probably a bit of an exaggeration, but you know what I mean. He'll be used off that halfback flank, you know, generally well. Actually, you know, I can't even confirm if that's his position. I haven't seen Coriolis a whole lot, so maybe you're best to talk about this pistol. I think he'll get uh, midfield time at Gold Coast, or at least on the wing, or somewhere that will utilize his really good uh, kicking abilities. I mean, they called him Silk for a reason. He can use the ball well, but the problem I have with... Uh, him as a pick is at AFL level he just isn't a big enough ball winner I mean we're talking about a guy that averages 12 touches across his 27 games so yes he'll have more opportunity but he needs to push that up to above 20 you know 21 22 and still use the ball well to be able to be a worthwhile selection down back I I find it hard to believe that he's just going to suddenly you know, average above 20 touches a game, but, you know, all four being proved wrong. And he is cheap enough that some people are willing to take the punt, and if you are, go for it. And, you know, if not, it's just going to cost you another trade. Yep, and the opposite to him, as we move into the midfield uh, in terms of ball winning, is Brad Crouch, who just racks up the peel like, you know, anyone that you ever see. He's just an absolute accumulator of the footy. And for that reason, he always averages well in Supercoach. Now, his problem is, is when it comes to the, the Pierce Hanley scale of things or, you know, whoever, I don't even know who's durable enough to compare that to, but a durable player side of things, he just does not compare at all. It's it's almost tragic how often he gets injured and how much time he misses. Missed a full season again last season after he was on everyone's radar to pick up in the preseason. And I'm sorry, but it's it's likely to happen again. It, it gets to a point where someone gets that many injuries that you just know it's a matter of time before they go down again. Now, if this is the year that Crouch plays 22, then it's a great pick at 418k. We know he can score well in fantasy, but if he if the inevitable happens, you're just starting a player that you're going to have to trade out and who won't earn you much money either. So, I mean, do you have similar thoughts, Pistol? I couldn't have said it better myself, JB. It's... You know what you're getting into when you pick Brad Crouch. You're not just picking him and thinking that everything's going to go smoothly. You're aware of the risk straight off the bat. So probably don't need to move or talk more about that one. But I am interested to hear your thoughts on um, somebody else that has quite, I think, a decent amount of potential. And that would be your boy Tom Rockliffe. Now, obviously at the power, he didn't have a great first season, averaging 75, but his scoring history is up there with the most, you know, elite, elite players. Walk me through your thoughts on him this season. Okay, so all I've heard pretty much in regards to Rockliffe is that 
Um, they got it wrong in the first season in terms of role, in terms of um, even how poor are going to play in general. So I heard there's been big mix-ups or big change-ups in how we're going to play, how we're going to play Rockliffe and um, all, all the such. All the good things that you want to hear as a supporter coming off of the season like we what we just did. But in terms of Rockliffe and Supercoach, you know, if he's not a risk to score 10 like he did multiple times last season, <laughs> then he's a risk to get injured. And it's just, it's it's a recipe for disaster. I don't think he's the type of player that is guaranteed to play in, in the squad. I obviously don't think he's fighting for a spot each week, but um, if he if he, his form is bad enough, then he will be rotated out. Our midfield is one of our deepest spots as well, so... It's just hard to argue for Tom Rockliffe, especially when, I mean, we're going to talk about him later, but there are players for a 50 to 100k cheaper that just show so much better potential as, as a scorer and everything. I, I've just lost all faith in Rockliffe. I don't really know how else to, to put a pistol. I mean, he's had a season where he averaged 131 and you just said someone else has better scoring potential. So I'm, I'm interested to see who in particular you're talking about. <laughs> well, I mean, scoring potential... I mean, he's he's only ever averaged seventy four point eight as a Port Adelaide player. So <laughs> that's true. You, know, you can use numbers circumstances. In, in any way you want, and you can kind of pull out an argument. So you definitely got me there. But moving on to the next player that changed clubs in the off season, uh, Aaron Hall, three hundred eighty nine k, now plays uh, for North Melbourne. What do you make of him this season? Uh, fresh start at North Melbourne for Aaron Hall. Um, I think. Uh, it's a bit of a hard one to judge because he as well has shown good scoring potential but obviously averages zero at North Melbourne so we don't know what role they're going to use him in. They've just picked up Polak as well, a very similar type of player, that outside run and carry. Polak's just a way, way better kick. So when it comes to Aaron Hall, you'd think he'd line up on a wing but it's just it's hard to see him really exploding for a 90-95 average. I think he can... Average 80, 85 um, pretty comfortably, but at that price, at 389k, you you just want more. You need that 90, 95 average-ish um, so that you know they're going to make 100, 150, 200k and be serviceable while they're at it. Aaron Hall just doesn't give me that sort of hope when looking to select him. Oh, I can understand that, but would this change your mind, JB? If you remove his injury-affected game last year, I know this is going to be a small sample size, and he had one game where he was absolutely tagged by Bamfield, and he only scored 21 points, which is definitely something I should not remove, but all of his other games, um, when <laughs> I'm making it sound like a lot, but as you said, he only played six games for the year, so um, across his other four matches, he did average just over 100. So... He has potential. The scoring potential has never been a question. It's just, you know, what role now is he going to play in this uh, North Melbourne side? I feel like if he's able to play as a pure midfielder, he is somebody that is definitely a worthwhile starting selection because he could go, could definitely go above 100 and certainly above 90. So it's just really what, where do you see him playing in that side? Yeah, and as a pure midfielder, I, I tend to agree. 90, 95, uh, even 100 isn't out of the realms of possibility. But like I said, they've got Polak as well. Uh, they've got obviously got Ben Cummington and actually a pretty decent uh, engine room. Obviously, the greatest of all time, Sean Higgins running through there as well. 
it's different between Gold Coast and North Melbourne, whereas Gold Coast just don't have players that score hundreds. Like they, they've got young players who will break out here and there in, and have good games. But Aaron Hall was pretty much their their main man, their their A grade talent. So you know they were getting the ball to him. He was he'd score his hundreds and play zero defense whatsoever throughout the whole game. It's not going to be the same at North Melbourne. He's got players contesting him for that football. He you know they're passing it to Pollock and Sean Higgins on the outside, not Aaron Hall. Um, it's just, I guess it's a little bit different situation. I don't think he's quite got the Gold Coast scoring potential, but you're right. He's shown that he can get hundreds with, you know, just about his eyes closed on a team that already doesn't get much of the the ball. So, you know, the potential's there, but for me, there's just too many, too many question marks around Aaron Hall this year. Oh, well, I mean, fortunately, we have other options. Um, that includes another guy who's moved clubs in the off-season, um, and that'd be my man, Anthony Miles, um, obviously joining Gold Coast uh, in the off-season. And I've always loved Miles. I think his scoring potential is awesome. And for that reason, he hasn't left my side since Supercoach Options. He's only 342k. And look, he hasn't. He wasn't really given the opportunities. I mean, last year he played one game. The year before, he played five games. Um, his, his last proper season was in 2016, where he had um, 19 games games and during that run he still managed to crack the ton I think it was it's eight times so I mean the scoring potential is there already um, and in a side where he's going to have to do the bulk of the work at Gold Coast I think getting in and under and being able to get the ball out of the pack um, I just see him as somebody who could well should go I'd say most definitely should go above 90 and you know he's got upside of 100, 105 as well. So it just feels like a safer mid-price selection. I know no mid-prices are safe, but it feels like a safer out of any real mid-pricer. Yeah, I can't refute anything you say about Anthony Miles because, as you said, it's it's like me with Sean Higgins, and we all know that I never lie about Sean Higgins. He is the best of all time. <laughs> so um, Miles is currently in my squad, and yeah, and a 90 plus average, it, it just shouldn't feel so safe, but it just does. And he's sort of done the reverse of what I said about Aaron Hall. He's gone from a, a good team where he wasn't getting opportunity to a bad team where he's going to get so much opportunity for the football. Yeah, he, he's a bit of a no-brainer as well for me. So hopefully JLT performances doesn't ruin that, pop that perfect bubble of mine. <laughs> Next one is Dan Hannabury. And uh, Hannes is a little bit of a weird one because obviously his scoring potential is through the roof with how he was in Sydney. He was a premium option for many, many years. One of the most... Re- reliable players to score 110 in the whole entire game and then he dropped off so bad I mean he dropped to I think like 95 a couple of seasons ago then last season a 14 games played 60 average obviously plagued by injury but also when he was out there he just didn't look like he was out there at all Um, it was strange to see he didn't have a a change in role really he was still playing in, in the midfield he just could not get the football and it was so unlike Dan Hanabry. So on the one hand, if he goes back to being normal Dan Hanabry, like you could possibly see him going 90, 95 plus in that St. Kilda team, being like the leader of, I don't even know who the hell they've got in their squad. But, um, you know, and you could really see him exploding and being a great pick. But on the other hand, he's coming off a 60 average and he's been traded to a team where, you know, they're, they're not as you know you can't have them in Sydney even near each other so if there even was the the little bit of a chance that Hanbury relied on you know being around a really good midfield like JPK and 
you know, Isaac Henney in the latter days and obviously Kieran Jack and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. If he did rely on that back when he had those big years, he's, he's got none of that now. So it's it's really hard to sort of predict what Hanabry will do for the season. And for that reason, pretty much, I'm just staying completely away and letting other people take that punt. Yeah, he just seemed to last year play a completely outside game. So before he was had he had a, a very good split of inside and outside midfield time, and you know he he's a ball winner and uh, he got the ball in under and also used it well and really complimented um, JPK. But last year, I think it was a lack of preseason amongst other things, and his game transformed entirely to an outside player, and he just could not score well at all and. I'd really need to see him in the JLT absolutely light it up for Saints for me to consider him because at the moment I'm kind of just expecting him to come out and like a slightly improved version on last year even though his potential is off the scale. Um, I just need to see how he's going to fit into that Saints side. Yeah, pretty much spot on. And another player who has incredible potential this season, uh, just the one game played for his 13 points, 13 average last season, obviously took that injury uh, very early on in the season, very early on in the game. Um, we know what Liberatore can do, and that's, you know, he's shown us in the past he's got that 100-plus average in him. He did average 110 for a season as well, but all we're looking for from Liberatore being, you know, 80, I think 60 or 80K cheaper than Aaron Hall for the this season coming is just getting close to that 90 average. And I think of all the players that we've mentioned so far besides uh, Anthony Miles, I think Liberatore has got the the most potential to do that. We know he's in and under. People talk about McRae's uh, progression and, and all these players like Dunkley and McLean. Those sorts of players, Dunkley and McLean specifically, are, are good forwards as well. And Liberatore, although he's been tested up forward, is a pure midfielder. You, you won't see him have any better games than when he's in the midfield shoveling the ball out. So there's no doubt that he will have as much midfield time as he needs. These other players haven't overtaken him. Uh, McRae will only help him as Liberatore will only be at, will only help McRae in return. Um, as you know, the, you know, you got the outside runner to shovel it out to, and you got Liberatore getting the ball for you if you're McRae. I just think Liberatore of all the options that we've mentioned besides Miles to summarise this very long talk of me saying the same thing for ten minutes is one of the most likely options to go ninety plus pistol. I I don't disagree with you, JB, um, but. I don't know. He's been in and out of my team all preseason. Sometimes I'm thinking, oh, that's Lib at 300k. How can I not put him on my side? And then other times I'm like, well, look, he, he was injured last year, but even the year before that, he had those, you know, I guess we'll call them off field issues as well as he just played poorly. I mean, he averaged 79 um, the year prior to his injuries. Well, and I mean, I, I can't blame him because, you know, he's he missed 2015 within with a significant injury and he came back and he averaged 90 straight off the bat and now he's missed a significant injury and it's like well is he going to come back and average 90 it's it's a lot to ask for JB coming back from two major injuries and especially with somebody who relies a lot on tackles and getting from contest to contest and being in there it's just a lot to take on board and I feel like Libba definitely could get back up there and I'd love to see in the JLT if he's at the bottom of every pack you know, he's going to be straight into my side. But if he's struggling even the tiny littlest bit, if he's not tackling, you know, he it's just a no. I mean, in the seasons he went, he's gone large. It always comes down to the fact that he's a massively high 
tackler. Well, that doesn't even make sense. Massively <laughs> high number of tackles um, he gets per game. And that really means his baseline score is always quite high because he's just always relying on those tackle points week in, week out. And, yeah, if he's not doing that in the preseason, or it's just, if he's a little bit shy, he, he's he's going to be nowhere near my final side. So strong wait and see on um, Tom Libertori and see how he performs in the JLT. Yeah, definitely. And he's one of those ones that, yeah, like you said, JLT will say a lot for, but at the moment he's currently in my team as well. So judging from this podcast, I've named probably, I think it's already four or five players that are in my team. I've got a full mid, a mid-pricer team almost. So that's, that's kind of wiring <laughs> on reflection. But uh, I think that'll do us for this podcast. We are approaching the 50-minute mark, so uh, we will discuss the Ruckman and the forwards in the next mid-pricer podcast. Uh, it won't be the same for the premium podcast. There's obviously just a lot to talk about when it comes to mid prices. There's a lot more analysis that is required. So we're not making the wrong decision. So uh, that's it from me, Pistol. Do you have any closing statements? I just did want to run through a reminder. Uh, we are obviously still raising money for the Cancer Council. Um, we will post the link uh, to the Cancer Council page on the description of our podcasts. And uh, so far... Uh, in the last year and a little bit, well, not even a year, year and a little bit, ugh, year and a little bit, um, we've raised three thousand six hundred forty-seven dollars and forty-nine cents for the council council, with over sixty-five hundred raised since we started raising uh, for the council council. So, a good effort there. Um, again, Chizo was unfortunate to miss this podcast. He is in the complete flooded area. Um, up in rural Whoop Whoop at the top of Australia. I'm pretty sure you've heard of that when you look at the map. <laughs> um, and, yeah, it's uh, um, one day we're going to have to pick him up in our submarine and we'll get him back on the podcast, but I'm not quite sure when he'll be back. Hopefully it's soon. Um, and, again, check out the Patreon page. Very excited to chat with all of you. Um, get in the Slack channel group. Um, join up and, yeah, start chatting with us about Supercoach because we absolutely love it. I wonder how long cheese lasts underwater. <laughs> okay I'm glad that's the point of the night that we've got into <laughs> and as always you can find us on twitter at jb underscore drsc uh, pistol underscore drsc and of course cheeso with a z underscore drsc so thank you very much for tuning in